With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, it's Rebecca Maida here, Zelina, the Wicked Witch of the West, and you are listening to Once Upon a Fan podcast. Enjoy, because it's wicked. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I'm your host, Pixie Petals, and I'm joined by my co-host, and I will let her introduce herself. Ruby's Wicked Hangover. And this is our show. (laughs) So, all right. We've got some stuff going on here today to talk about. Um, A couple of couple of things that are related, a couple of things that are not, some upcoming episode titles and so forth, all of that before we get into our episode review. Um, the chat room is open for those of you who are interested. If you are new to the podcast or even if you're not and you already know the drill, it might take you a couple of page refreshes before it lets you in, but just go ahead and keep on doing that because it will eventually work for you. Happy to see you in there, those of you who are able to join. So let's go ahead and get into our news roundup so that we can start our episode discussion because I am ready to do that. So, <laughs> the first thing that we have to discuss is that there was a um, a new hot seat session with Natalie Abrams over at Entertainment Weekly that was conducted with Adam and Eddie, the creators of the show. Um, lots of interesting information there going on um, as far as, you know, what the yeses were about and what a lot of the can't say's were about because can't say a lot of times is related in some way to a yes. Um, so it's funny because the first question was, will Snow and Charming break the sleeping curse together or will it be the doing of someone else? And Adam said, can't say. Uh, well, of course, we know the answer to that. Found that out in this week's episode, which we'll discuss later. Um, we're going to find out why the Black Fairy never pursued casting the Dark Curse. Um, we're going to learn more about the relationship between the Black Fairy and the Blue Fairy, which I'm sure, Ashley, you're going to be very excited about. Yes! A.K.A. I am hyped. Yes, believe the hype. Um, and I'm sure that that'll be during the episode of Black Fairy, which is coming up soon. Um, let me see here. We're also going to... Uh, let's see. Oh, the final battle is a test that only Emma can face. These are all the for sure things. Um, just getting into those. And I don't know why that's playing. Sorry, guys. All right. Um, will there be more familiar faces returning in the finale? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, season six is ending the way that they always plan for season six to end. It's kind of funny because the original question was, 
is season six going to end the way you originally planned to end the series? And Eddie said, yes. And Adam said, well, sort of. And then Eddie said, season six is ending the way that we always planned for it to end. Now, by that last comment, I take that to mean that season six is ending the way that they planned season six to end, not necessarily the finale of the show. But what Eddie said at the beginning, when he said yes, like plan the series to end the series, I don't know. Um, I can I feel like it when when Adam said well sort of, I kind of see where they're going with it because since they might be ending it in a way that ends like certain character storylines like Snow and Charming, um, you know maybe that part is. Not like maybe they planned on ending that story along with everyone else's at the same time, and the fact that there might be a continuation with some characters and not the others, since that maybe was not the original plan, maybe that's what they're talking about. That's kind of what I'm, you know, taking out of this. Um, Ashley, what do you think? I think that sounds about right. I think that they i mean cuz didn't they always say that they kind of had an end in mind for stir, for the stories or the series yeah. and i think that probably with the way things have been going they have incorporated a lot of what they wanted to do into the finale but i bet that they are probably had to modify some things to um make it flow into the new stories for season 7 which i think that we've all kind of like even though nothing is confirmed, I think we all are kind of like accepting that to be the reality at this point. Yeah, agreed. Um, interesting as well. The last question was, will once upon a time be renewed for season seven? They said, can't say. Um, however, they did say that there will be more death in the season finale. Um, and also mm-hmm. an interesting question too. Um, they, the question was, will the dragon's daughter's identity be revealed someday? And Eddie said, can't say, someday. And then Adam said, but that is a great question. And then Eddie said, that is somebody who pays attention so closely to the show that they deserve. And then Adam said, an answer. Um, They said that they can't say whether or not Allison Fernandez will play an existing fairy tale character. Um, Question, is the curse that created the town of Storybrook going to be broken? Adam said, can't say. That's interesting. Um, mm. If it was just a straight no, then wouldn't it be like a no? But that, I guess that also has you at wondering whether or not we'll get a return to the Enchanted Forest. Because I feel like if we're like kind of barreling towards the end of this certain narrative, then the Enchanted Forest has got to make a return in some form. Right? Mm. Like... Mm-hmm. What do you think? All right. Um, I, I, I can't say. But then again, you do um, remember I was up in Vancouver when they were wrapping up filming. Will Emma and Hook's wedding be interrupted like Snow and Charming's was? Can't say. No new dark one by season's end. Um, the oracle who told Emma about the prophecy again was killed. Uh, let's see here. No new family members. 
Can't say mm-hmm. whether Rumpel will ever become free of the Dark One curse or if we'll ever see Gideon at another age. Tiger Lily and Hook definitely do not have a romantic past relationship. Adam said no. Um, now here is something as well this question will Henry ever get a new jacket and scarf on the surface that's an an innocent question innocuous at best Eddie said no there have been attempts by costumes and other people but we just like it we don't care that he's growing up we're going to make him our little 10 year old forever now I feel like while that is a sarcastic answer (laughs) and something that on the surface seems like, you know, just something that's a joke, which it very well could be. I also feel like it's a hint that they're actually not going to keep him 10 years old and that the guy that they have coming in for the season finale is actually a grown-up Henry. Like, we're going to make him our little 10-year-old forever is, like, I feel like that's his way of being, like, ha-ha, not really. He is totally grown up and coming to you live and breathing in the season finale. So, who knows? I'm, I may be wrong. I may be reading too much into it. But it just seems like the kind of thing, like, my ears kind of pricked up at that where I was like, what? Like, that seems like an interesting answer. So, for more, you can go to entertainmentweekly.com. If you look for Once Upon a Time on their page, it will guide you. I don't have a full you know, link available that I can say on the podcast just because links are long. So go check that out. In the meantime, Ashley has some news updating us on the Bubble Watch 2017. And I'm going to let you take it away from there. Sure. Uh, Deadline had an article about shows that were on the bubble, kind of like, you know, on on the border, will they, won't they come back. Um, And their bit referring to once was pretty interesting. Um, And I'll quote it here. Quote, things also look promising for veteran ones upon a time, contingent on closing deals with four cast members identified to lead a planned reimagining of the series, Jennifer Morrison, Lana Perea, Robert Carlyle, and Colin O'Donoghue. I hear the show is meeting with writers as two of its key producers, Andrew Chambliss and Ian Goldberg, left to become co-showrunners on Fear the Walking Dead. Um, Well, that's interesting because I did not realize that Andrew Chambliss and Ian Goldberg had left uh, to go showrun Fear of the Walking Dead, nor did I realize that Fear of the Walking Dead was uh, devoid of showrunners. Um, Also, it says contingent on closing deals, meaning that there isn't really any hard info yet on these um, contract renewals, though it seems that J-Mo, Lana, Robert Carlyle, and Colin will definitely be involved as of... uh, of the core original leads. Um, it doesn't really say anything about folks who are reoccurring, but I mean, we'll see. Um, and that kind of also confirms that Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas will be exiting, which makes sense when you watch like this episode and you kind of get the, all the talk of coming to an end and, 
stories ending and wrapping up a story, it feels kind of natural that that would be the case um, in regards to Snow and Charming's story. So while it's sad, it's not sad, sad, and there's always opportunity for cameos and for them to come back. What do you think about all this, Zach? Um, well, I, I think that it's, I think it's very interesting as well, um, especially in conjunction with another article that was put out by TV Line, which is related to this. Um, they spoke about the upcoming season and, you know, the end of this season and what that could mean and the whole kin caboodle. So this is from Matt Midovich. Um, and here's what it says. Um, as previously reported, original cast members, as Ashley just said, Jennifer Morrison, Lana Perea, and Robert Carlyle, as well as longtime series regular Colin O'Donoghue, have been invited to extend their expiring deals with the fairytale-paced drama, while others, including Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas, may only guest star as needed in any possible season seven. Um, ABC won't comment on any of the extensions or exits, but what Adam said is interesting. He said, quote, we have the answers to that, which we can't share, but the story has been designed around it as far as cast exits and things like that. Um, filming on the two-hour finale wrapped earlier this month, and at, or excuse me, Eddie said, quote, any changes that we have to accommodate have been accommodated. We planned this finale from the beginning of the year, so whoever stays and whoever goes, all those questions have already been dealt with. The audience does not have to fear anything feeling incomplete. End quote. Uh, the significant cast change is part of a reset of sorts to steer things in a new direction and make it more attractive for renewal including the introduction of a young man slash cynical recluse and precocious 10-year-old girl. And they'll be played, as we've mentioned before on the show, by Andrew J. West and Allison Fernandez, respectively, both of whom will stay on as regulars if Season 7 is a go. These arrivals will coincide with Emma Swan engaging in a recently foretold final battle, which is also the finale's title. Eddie said, quote, we wanted to be able to complete this chapter and yet set up the next one. So, to me, it sounds like everybody but those four are going to be guest stars going forward. Um, and, yeah, with in conjunction with what you had said earlier, Ash, with that other, you know, article... Um, it just, uh, it just seems likely, I mean, despite, you know, everything that's been said and the ratings and this, that, and the third, it sounds like we're getting a renewal with those four characters at the minimum, plus other characters on as guest stars as needed, along with other people, you know, on the show guest starring, like, you know, having team members of Team 7 come back or, you know, Granny or Geppetto or like a thing. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, like <laughs> stuff like that. So I don't know. I've talked a long time. So that's, I kind of feel like we're just going to get the renewal. Let's just go ahead and accept it. We are getting one. I, I definitely think that what we talked about last week about it being during the upfronts, especially where the upfronts fall directly after the finale, I think that ABC is keeping that in their pockets. And that's going to be like the big thing they're going to lead with is renewal once upon a time. <sighs> But then again, well, like, you, you know, don't know for sure. That's just speculation. 
And there's another factor in this, too, that I want to discuss because um, I posted it on our Facebook page, and I think I may have tweeted about it. So I just kind of want to... Yes, I just want to kind of talk about it a little bit here. Um, You know, maybe get some perspective on some things. So, Mana Perea posted a picture last week, um, and it was of herself and Carrie Washington, who stars as the incomparable Olivia Pope on Scandal. Gladiators. Scandal. Um... And I thought that that was very interesting. Um, and the reason why I thought it was interesting was kind of twofold. Number one, Lana is wearing this purple dress that we maybe maybe we've seen it before, and the lighting or the cinematography or something just made it look like a different color. That's certainly very possible. It might be an old photo because I can I did consider that, but. Um, the fact that Kerry Washington is in it, that's the, that's the thing. Because Scandal films in Los Angeles and once, obviously, films in Vancouver. And as far as I know, there's no... They didn't film together recently, like the two shows. You know, that didn't happen. Um <laughs> So I was wondering why exactly they were in the same place at the same time and where it could be and why. And it occurred to me that next month in May is when ABC has its upfront presentations for its advertisers where it presents its upcoming lineup to show them exactly what they're bringing to the table to interest advertisers in purchasing ad time, which therefore pays for the shows to be produced. That's how it works, in case you were wondering. And the place that in this picture that Lana posted, it's very sunny. It's like clearly very sunny and it seems like it's new. And I was like, why would they be in the same place? And then coincidentally, I saw somebody else on Facebook post a picture two actually two pictures of Lana in that same dress out outside the same trailer. Cause you can see like the coloring on the trailer is the same. Like there's a certain color. Like it's very clearly the same thing. And it's, again, in a sunny place. And it was literally that they were posted the same day in two different places. And I was like, okay, that's very odd. Like, I don't think that this is an old photo anymore because this person just posted this today. And what are the odds of them posting an old photo of Lana Perea wearing the exact same dress that she's wearing in this picture that she just posted? Like, that seems bizarre especially since the caption was somebody thanking somebody else for um, getting them the opportunity to t- um, take said picture. So all together, putting it all together, I feel like Lana and Carrie Washington were on the same set in LA at ABC studios in Burbank filming a video as part of ABC's upfront presentation, along with actors from the rest of their lineup on the drama and the comedy side, and even some news people, I'm sure, like whatever they're going to be doing, to, you know, for their upfronts. And that the show has been renewed, and that's why it's in the presentation. Because, and because otherwise, to me, it doesn't make sense why they would include a character from a show that is no longer on the air 
Um, even if it's something like Once Upon a Time, which has a huge legacy factor for Disney and ABC, I just don't see it happening. And I don't know if oh, I'm wrong in that, if I'm way off the mark, but, you know, Ashley, you let me know what you think. I think you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, looking at the dollar signs there, there's no reason to include something that you wouldn't be bringing into the new year and the new seasons um, as part of your presentation. So I think I think you are on the money with that one. Yeah, it just didn't make sense. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I think. So putting it all together, you know, the picture, the bubble article, the, the notes from Adam and Eddie about how the storyline is going to conclude in a certain way and how everything has been accounted for and cast exits and who leaves and who stays and this, that, and the third and all of these things. Um, yeah, it just seems to point in that direction. So that's kind of where we're at. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this news bulletin because all Three of these have kind of been related to the same topic, and I'm sure everybody by now is aware of the renewal, so we can go ahead and wrap that up. Um, let's dig into, let's reverse the order on the agenda. Let's get into the remaining episodes that are left, then we'll have our usual con update from Ashley, and then we will get into our episode discussion. All right, so. As indicated by the promo for next week, I hope everybody saw it. I'm sure you did. Um, it's titled Where Bluebirds Fly, written by David Goodman and Brigitte Hales, directed by Michael Schultz. And then we've got The Black Fairy, which was written by Jerome Schwartz and Dana Horgan, and it will be directed by Ulrich Riley. And I have a feeling that this episode is the one from the Hot Seat article where we'll get the history between The Black Fairy and The Blue Fairy. Mm-hmm. So that episode will be airing on Sunday, April 30th. And then The Song in Your Heart, which is the musical episode, and written by David H. Goodman and Andrew Chambliss, directed by Ron Underwood, will be airing on Sunday, May 7th. And then The Final Battle, which is the two-hour season finale, as far as we know, written by Adam and Eddie. Part one, directed by Steve Perlman. Part two, directed by Ralph Hemmaker. That is airing on Sunday, May the 14th, which is also Mother's Day, as per the huge. Um, those are the remaining episodes, of course. So, yeah, we've got... And it's funny, because you... Oh, wait, that was... I think that was something that you said before the podcast started, so I won't say what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Actually, Ashley, before we get into the con update, there is one other news bulletin that we could bring into this because it's related Let's to the Let's bring it in because I know you want to talk about it. I know exactly where you're going with this. All right. So for those of you... I don't know how anybody could be unaware, but for those of you who are unaware, maybe you're not, you know, hip to the social media and you just like to listen to podcasts. That's cool. Shouldn't be judgy. Um, ABC released key art yesterday um, for the upcoming musical episode. Um, key art, in case you're wondering, are like the posters that they put out, like for season five when it was the Dark Swan. It's the one where Emma's face is all white and her eyes were like the black kind of mascara wings and the dark red lips and, 
you know, all that stuff. Um, or like the Camelot poster where they were, like, it was a three-piece that they put out. Um, and they were in Camelot, and the same thing when they did the off story, all of that. That's all key art, right? So um, they put it out yesterday. It's, um, it's an interesting choice. And it's an interesting choice because if you haven't seen it yet, I will go ahead and describe it for you. So it's got a black background. Um, it says Once Upon a Time, and like the regular logo, and then underneath it it says the musical episode. And then underneath that it says Sunday, May 7th, 8th, 7th Central, and then the ABC logo underneath that, and then followed by hashtag Once Upon a Musical. And around this um, title card, if you will, is Hook's Hook. And hanging from the hook is two rings, um, a solid silver ring, platinum, whatever, and one that's a little bit more bejeweled, um, a little bit more diamondy, clearly a, a wedding ring for... Um, a bride in a cis-heterosexual marriage. Um, And that's the key art. Now, like I said, it's an interesting choice um, for various reasons. Um, The first one, of course, being... um, But we'll just start from the beginning on this, right? Okay. Because they told us a long time ago, months and months now, that we were going to be getting a musical episode. And we were all of a dither about it. We, you know, some of us were excited. Some of us were, like, really, um, some of us had evolving opinions over time, one way or the other, like Ashley and myself have done. Um, And it was great. We kept hearing all these things. We kept hearing about how, you know, Zelina was going to have a solo, which was going to be wicked, of course. And we <laughs> heard about how, you know, Regina was going to have a song, and Lana Perea posted um, a picture of herself in dance rehearsal. And one of the articles that they had in, in one of the entertainment magazines and websites said that, you know, Lana has a sequence where she, like, flies across the floor on her knees, like, you know, queen style. Um, like the band queen, not her character queen. Um, <laughs> and that Emma, you know, and that Emma was going to have a solo too. And, and they couldn't say who else was going to have a song or who might be singing together or who might be duetting or, you know, whatever that was going to be. They couldn't really say, right. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that the, when the news came out that, in fact, the musical episode is going to be Hook and Emma's wedding. It's interesting that everything that we had heard about all of the other characters having their moment was seemingly thrown out the window from a marketing perspective, perhaps. Um, we haven't seen the episode yet. We don't know how it's written, but clearly from what has been said already, this is an episode where everybody has 
at least a moment. Um, certain people certainly have a solo, but I'm sure that there will be big chorus numbers where everybody's involved and, you know, it's like some big dancing, sweeping scene and it's totally awesome, right? Like, I'm sure that those, that, that scene is going to take place. I have no doubt. Um, they've been saying that forever, so I have no doubt that that's the way that it's been written. That's certainly not what this key art is saying. And I'm not saying that on, like, a critical level because everybody knows of my opinion of Hook and of all of those kinds of things. I'm talking about purely from, like, a design point of view. That key art does not say, hey, look at all of these characters having all of these great musical moments. That, to me, says something quite different. So we'll start there. Um, so now that the train has left that station, it's pulling into the next one, which is the fact that this is a wedding between Hook and Emma. And in all of the, and in the articles that I've seen discussing this, you know, it's been stated that this, you know, they felt like Emma's wedding would be the culmination of her story arc and that that was the best place to work in the musical episode. And I think that's dandy. I think that's great. I think that's fine. If that's how it's going to end up working, I mean, it makes sense to me, especially if it's some situation where everybody is practicing singing and dancing because they want to surprise Emma for her wedding with like a flash mob kind of thing. Mm. And that's how it ends up being. And then Emma, for whatever reason, has a solo because she decided that she wants to sing at the wedding, or maybe it's going to be like a karaoke wedding or something. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's something like that that they were able to work it in. And all of that is fine. I'm into it. Give me a good story, man. I'll wrap it up. Go on. But this key art does not say what they're saying about it being the culmination of, like, Emma's character and that this is, like, the natural place to work in the musical episode and, hey, look at all these characters having their moments. This key art doesn't send that message either. Because with the exception of the more bejeweled, bedazzled ring hanging on Hook's hook, this key art is entirely about Hook and nobody else. This key art does not send the message about what this episode is about, who is involved, and it has nothing to do with anything that has been said in any article about this episode up until the point that they revealed that it was going to be the wedding. It just doesn't. That has nothing to do with the writers or the story at all. For all I know, for all we know, they may agree with it. <laughs> and just can't say anything. Who knows? I may be totally off the mark, too. I may be totally talking out my neck and just are, am completely wrong. And I'm just making an ass out of myself. And that's fine, too, because it wouldn't be the first time. This is, show is just for entertainment purposes, so it's whatever. Um... But, yeah, I don't get that, man. I don't get it at all. 
And, you know, Ashley, please feel free to share your view. Talk me down off the ledge should you. <laughs> well, we had a whatever. bit of a, I, I want to be honest with our, our listeners. You and I kind of butted heads a little bit privately about this because I honestly didn't. I saw it online. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty looking. That's neat. I like that. Whatever. I didn't really think too much about it. And I was like, oh, that's a nice graphic. It looks put together. It's not like those season, the infamous season three posters, if you do recall, longtime viewers. Oh, God, that cold. so bad. <laughs> oh, God. And if you, if you, by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, I'm pretty sure if you Google, like, once upon a time, season three poster bad, there's, you'll find them. They're magical and not in, in the usual way. But um, so I didn't really think too much about it. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's neat. Yeah, they're getting married. Cool. Um, because to me, um, they've used the hook in PR before. It's kind of like a symbol. They've used it on posters. And things like that. So I was like, oh, they're just carrying on, you know, the the theme of having the hook is a uh, a poster. But then, I mean, I listened to what you said, Zach, and I do agree that I wish that Emma, you know, upon reflection, I do wish that Emma had been more represented um, on the poster. If it had been like a swan with the two rings around its neck, I think that would have been cute. I would have liked that. Um, actually, now that I think, like like a black silhouette of a swan, and then you you kept the rings as they were with the silver and then the diamonds to make them stand out. Um, but I didn't even think about this until you brought it up just now. How it's the key art is turning the focus onto the wedding as the main event, as opposed to it being an ensemble musical. Um, like now, granted, a big. I'm glad that they are making the wedding the focus of this episode because I feel like if they were to kind of glaze over this event, I would be disappointed. So I'm glad it's going to be a big deal. And they're doing the PR to get us hyped about that. But I, I'm not sure how you would have been able to do... And, and this thought isn't defending them. I, I just I wouldn't wasn't sure how you would design the poster to incorporate the idea of an ensemble musical, um, probably something with a clock tower. Um, but then again, I don't do design, so I don't. That's not my realm. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you on that point. That I would have liked to see something that is more about Storybrooke as a whole, as opposed to the singular event. Um, but going back to it being. Hook being the focus, like I do agree, I would have would have wanted to see more Emma on that. I think I got spiky with you personally in private, Zach, because I was seeing a load of backlash. It was it was very weird because my timeline was very polarized. It was either people who were super hyped about it or they absolutely hated it, and there was no in between. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it's it's a poster, like neat. So I think I was, like, very done with trying to defend or deride it when we spoke, which was – the timing was not good, unfortunately. And I had just come back from the DMV, so I think that was a whole another set of grumpiness. So I do apologize for that. I'm publicly apologizing for that. But um, I will say, again, it's a poster. Like, it's – you know – like it, it's 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 not that deep in my opinion. And actually, I'm bringing up I'm thinking about the hook now because I'm looking at my pins from Comic Con, and one of the pins is one of the, is is the hook. 
So I don't know. At the end of the day, for me, it might not have been the best design for, for the episode, mostly because it doesn't focus on a ensemble. Because you guys know I don't give a shit about shipping, so we'll just put that there. <laughs> um, I'm like literally so done with that whole aspect of fandom, and and that goes across all the boards of fandom, all the way around. Like back to the X File days, don't care, don't don't want it, don't care, not my bag, go away. I, I'm happy to watch my television shows. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess I'm thinking it, it's just. It's just a poster, and at the same time, we, and I feel like we might have discussed this in the past, we might not, the PR folks who design these things don't really have a connection to the showrunners as much, at least I don't think. Like, the PR is a whole separate department, and they're going to do their thing. So I don't think it's fair that folks are constantly tweeting Adam about, poster because at the end of the day I feel like his bosses had more of a say than he did and now I don't know that for sure I may again be talking out of my ass um but just just think about it for a minute like you know you've, you've Disney and you have Disney's PR situation and then you have ABC and ABC's PR situation mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to get on the writers, and 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 uh, criticism is one like one thing. Fine, criticize away. We're that's what we're doing right now. We're we're looking at it with a critical eye as fans. I just don't think it's fair to because the writers are so visible. To they're the ones that you say non-constructive criticism to because of your displeasure of something the PR team did because the PR team does boost a lot of hook things. I mean, we know this. Right. So, I don't know. I, that's just my thought. My thoughts are like, chill, man. Chill. You yeah. know what I mean? Am I yeah, too chill? Cause, I mean, and, that was a, and that was the thing, and actually, we had spoke about this before the podcast as well. If, if you listeners don't know, there's a minute before the podcast kind of goes live that we have a chance to kind of chat and like get settled on our agenda and everything, and we tend to bring things up because, you know, we live across the country, so we only get a couple of times a week to talk. Um, and I had mentioned that maybe I am being too chill. Maybe I am making too many excuses for things I know how they work in the industry instead of consuming as a fan would, because at the end of the day, what we are getting is the final product. And perhaps I personally am making too many allowances um, with what I know of the process to not be critical enough of the final product. And because also like we've kind of had a, a growing relationship with people who do create things, not just this show, but, you know, comic book creators, artists, like, YouTubers, cosplayers. So I feel like you and Isaac have had a, a really a good eyeful of the many different processes. People who, who do cons, things like that. Um, but when I say do cons, I mean, like, organize them to where, and even, you know, some of our friends are directors and, and things like that. 
So we kind of know more, a lot about the process, more than like my mom would. My mom is a casual viewer. She watches it on Sunday. She goes, oh, you internet people were right about the theory you told me about four months ago. And then she like, you know, goes and she goes and she waits for next week. So perhaps I'm being too lenient because I know how much goes into and how much can change in the process. But at the same time, at the end of the day, the final product is what is being presented to an audience. And if that isn't hitting the mark, as, as, as tumultuous as the process is, something is still amiss. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that, Zach? Well, I agree. Um, I, and I want to be clear about it, too, that this isn't like a hyper, you know, critique of, like, the marketing or anything either, because you're right. There was a lot of, um, you know, backlash about it. And really, privately, my opinion is much different than what it is here, which, you know, I can get into the more critical aspects of that because I feel like I totally have an argument to back it up. But, I mean, the main point of it is, like, the only thing that I, like, what I really want to say without being, like, hypercritical, right, and without having, like, a total, like, fandom meltdown about whatever, because I know more about the process now, too. And I'm having to take that into more of, like, a consideration and and think about it from more of a production point of view and and showrunning point of view and marketing and things of that nature. So I totally understand you know, that there are a lot of people contributing to this decision. Um, there are, I'm sure, several different versions of key art that, you know, are looked at before anything is decided. Like, you know, there are different options. So, and I know that there's a lot. And I, and I agree with you, too, to your point that it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the writers. So to see a bunch of people tweeting at um, a bunch of, you know, whatever about the poster, like, doesn't really make sense. And, you know, and the thing that I want to make clear, too, in the off chance that anybody at ABC would ever be listening to this or anybody who works for the show either, is that from a strictly design and marketing point of view, that's all I'm looking at this as. What has already been said about this episode has not been communicated in the key art that was released. That's all. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I feel like there are that there may have been other choices, other design options that they could have gone with that could have given everybody their recognition and their due while at the same time, you know, having it fit in with the wedding theme. Like I'm, I'm thinking of something right now that could very easily work. And it actually makes me want to create it in Photoshop because I'm I wonder if we're thinking like, about the same thing. I'm because I'm imagining that season was it season two poster with Emma in the clouds with the town in front, the purple clouds of Kirstum, except and with the sword, except she's wearing a wedding dress and she has her back to the the viewer. That's what I'm just instantly pictured in my head. It's interesting you say that because I had imagined something similar um, very but also a, a totally different version so <laughs> I, the, the first thing that I imagined actually was more of like the the try what I don't know what the right word is for that but the key art where it's the three different pieces that fit together to become one poster um, whatever that is. Cryptid. 
Triptych. Thank you. Um, I don't how trip triptych. Mm-hmm. There's a Y in it. I learned it from a series of unfortunate events, actually. The um, okay. the Austere Academy. Mm-hmm. So and uh, so a triptych <laughs> then of. Well, I was imagining was like a like a table. That's clearly been set for a wedding, and in front of each chair is like an object, or, or like maybe sitting on a chair or whatever, or something somewhere is an object that represents each character. That's kind of like the seating chart, but none of the characters are in it. So, oh, I see. I like that. So, like Hook's hook, for example, could be, you know, standing up at attention. <laughs> um, sitting on a plate on top of the table, and then that could be next to, you know, like a napkin or something that's like like a swan. And then next to that is, you know, like Snow White's bow or something. And then next to that is like Charming's sword, followed by like Henry's, you know, scarf is draped over or something. Or the or, yeah, or, like, the book is sitting there on the table, like, propped up, and then next to that is, like, the apple, you know, for Regina, followed by, like, Zelina's witch's hat, you know, like, for the Wicked Witch. And then who else is missing? So gold, what, his cane is, like, upright, and Bell Or maybe has, the dagger, yeah. Or the dagger, but I feel like the cane would make more sense because that might be something that he left behind while he got up to go... <laughs> dance Party. or something. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he walks just fine, you know, without it. He doesn't need it, obviously, in Storybrooke, but, um, you know, something like that. Or, along with your idea, the other thing that I pictured was something like that, but it was Emma and Hook standing in the gazebo in the castle in the Enchanted Forest, the same place where Emma, or excuse me, where Snow and Charming got married, and then you can see the, uh, like, like Snow and like Henry is up there too, right? Like he's next to Hook. I can't even believe I'm saying this. Um, he's <laughs> next to Hook, and then like maybe Charming is up there too, right? And then with up there with Emma is Snow and like Regina, and you can tell that it's them, but nobody is facing the camera. They're all facing like towards you know the preacher man. Ooh. Yes, and then the the little tag on the bottom, like it would have once upon a time, and then it would have don't be late or something like that. Oh, that's exactly. Good. And then like, and then because then right, standing out in the audience, you can clearly see like there's Selena in like a green dress with her red hair, right? And then like mm-hmm. Granny, like mm-hmm. you could totally fit like the like Team Seven in there as well somehow. Like it could be a whole thing. I just feel like there were some other options that we could have gone with besides just, hey, look, here's a hook with wedding rings on it, because it just does not speak to what they have already said about what this episode is going to be. And I feel like oh. this one, especially oh. especially if there was, like, like, right in the foreground of this poster we're talking about, right, like, sitting on the ground, like, on the walkway right at the bottom is, like, sheet, like a piece of sheet music, Yes, I could totally. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. That would have that would have been it, right? Isn't that it? I would have loved that. I also I like when you were talking about um parts. Yeah. Of 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 like having a trip hitch. Like, like I for some reason like I, I thought, of, thought of um. Thought of, sorry, I have a little echo, so I might be stuttering a bit. 
Um, I thought of perhaps having different locations around Storybrooke kind of dressed for a wedding. Like you have a picture of the clock tower being shot upwards and it has like white, um, not streamers, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know the right word, but like, like, like cloth, like draping on it, like made to look like a wedding or you have grannies and there's like, you have the table that you were speaking of, like outside of grannies, you would see the sign for grannies, just like different locations in Storybrooke. Like Gold Shop is like, closed for an event or something with like a sign on the door and they, but you see like the gold pawn shop, like, you know, writing on the window, just like little, like doing a series of them because it's not early. I don't think for the key art to be released, but that's not next week, nor is it the week after's episode. Like I know we're trying to build the hype and obviously the hype is there, but it could have been something they could have, teased out and maybe there are more posters coming but they they seem to very much in the articles refer to it as the key art so unless they're whipping up something else now due to all the response i don't know um this seems this seems to be the singular um image they want to attach to the musical episode exactly and it's like even even putting a piece of sheet music with the hook and the rings or something like that. Right. Like on the one, like it's kind of like you have two conflicting things because you have once upon a time, the musical episode paired with a hook with wedding rings on it. And I'm sure, yeah, you can put it all together, but like, it's such an, it's just such an odd choice to me. Like, I don't know. That's all it is. We've been sitting here talking about this forever. So we should probably wrap it up and get on to something more interesting by now. But I just wanted to say (laughs) that that was something that, and something that I wanted to remark upon because a lot of people have been remarking upon it and I wanted to provide mm-hmm. maybe a more logical and rational rationale for why... Well, we have two conflicting views as well and I'm glad, you know, this, it's such a point of contention. I'm glad we did spend a lot of time on it. Same. Yeah. Alright, so Ash, go ahead and give us our um, weekly con update and then we'll get into our episode discussion. All right. Well, there have been a few changes in the uh, who's attending what conventions. So, um, but I'm going to start chronologically with what's going on this weekend. Really quick reminder, you can find all this information at our con page, which is www.onceuponafans.com slash conventions. Now, coming up this weekend, we have the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, or C2E2, Uh, Here in Chicago, I'm going to be there. If you're going to attend, come find me. I'll be cosplaying. I'm not saying what it's going to be. It's going to be good. (laughs) I'm excited. So come say hi, please. Um, And attending this convention is Millie Bobby Brown, who is most well-known for her role as Eleven on Stranger Things, but she was also young Alice in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. She will only be attending this event on Sunday, Sunday, though, due to Stranger Things filming, which is exciting to me because I love Stranger Things. So, yeah, so that's the thing. Um, also, this weekend is Storytelling Con in Barcelona, Spain. Um, it's so funny because Beverly Elliott's already there, and she's been tweeting all these, like, vacation photos. And I'm like, oh, she's going to have so much fun. Uh, so, yeah, so she'll be there along with Lana Perea, Shaw McGuire, Rebecca Mater, Colin Donahue, Megan Ori, um, and Faustino Debata. And... Also, also this weekend is MagicCon in Germany, where Emily DeRavin and Keegan Connor Tracy, good old Blue, will be attending. Um, 
Later on in this month is the Calgary Expo in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Again, Millie Bobby Brown will be there, as well as Raphael Sabarge, our very own Dr. Archie Hopper. Also at the end of the month is Storybrooke UK3 in Blackpool. Um, and it just was announced recently that Faustino Debata, who plays Sleepy, and Gabe, um, oh, I always butcher his name, Kuth, who plays Sneezy, they will be the special guest co-hosts of this event. Also attending are Emily DeRobin, Lana Perea, Rebecca Mater, Jared Gilmore, Robert Carlyle, Rare Con Opportunity, Sean McGuire, Karen David, and Oded Fair, who plays Jafar this season. Moving into May, and I definitely want to mention this because there have been some changes. Um, moving into May, May 5th through the 7th, will be the Creation Entertainment Presents Once Upon a Time Con in Toronto. Lee Ehrenberg will be the MC for this event, and attending will be Lana Perea, Rebecca Mater, Emily DeRavin, Beverly Elliott, Gil McKinney, who plays Prince Eric, Keegan Counter Tracy, Michael Coleman, Raphael Sabarge, Chris Gauthier. Um, unfortunately, Jennifer Morrison, we've already covered this, had to cancel, and it just came out that Colin O'Donoghue also had to cancel, but attending will be Karen David, who plays Jasmine and Sean McGuire, which is very exciting um, that he'll be attending a creation event. Um, moving on in May, we have uh, May 20th and 21st is the Telford Fan Zone Convention uh, in the UK. And Colin O'Donoghue, David Andrews plays Dr. Whale, and Rose McIver plays Tinkerbell will be attending. Again, Jennifer Morrison had to cancel her appearance. Um, at the end of May, we have the Phoenix Comic Con. Uh, that'll be May 25th through the 28th. Sean McGuire, David Anders, and Karen David will be attending. And May 27th and the 28th is Fairy Tales 5 in Paris. Uh, Colin O'Donoghue, Jamie Chung, who plays Mulan, Elliot Knight, who plays Merlin, Rose McIver, Sam Witwer, who plays Hyde, who was apparently at the Star Wars celebration this past weekend, and I didn't know he does a ton of voices for... Star Wars stuff, so that's kind of exciting. Um, he's also our very own Hyde. He will be attending, as well as Bailey Madison, uh, who played Young Snow. Uh, again, Jennifer Morrison had to cancel her appearance. And that is it for the upcoming conventions. Again, this list is not definitive, so if you know of a con that has a Once Upon a Time guest, or um, if you run a con that has a Once Upon a Time guest, or represent a Once Upon a Time guest, and want to have them added to our con schedule, please drop us a line, shoot us a tweet, and we'll be happy to add things on. And that's it. Back to you, Zach. All right, everybody. So, um, let's go ahead and get on into our... <laughs> um just want to um, let everybody know, just in case you're wondering. Um, this is something that has nothing to do with Once Upon a Time. But in case you're wondering. Um, so far, Democrat John Ossoff is leading the Georgia special election in the 6th District by... Um, He's at 55.6% of the vote, and the next contender, who is Karen Handley, Republican, is at 164 And that is with 20... I mean, what? 
That's with 23% of precincts reporting. So it's very early and it can still change. However, just in case you're wondering. All right, so this episode is called Awake. And it was written by people, um, because I didn't have my notes, written by Andrew Chambliss and Leah Fong, directed by Sharat Raju. Andrew Chambliss certainly made sure he wrote a lot of episodes before he took off for Fear of the Walking Dead. All right, um, good on. Cool. So, um, overall, Ashley, what do you think of this episode? Spoiler free. Well, to be perfectly honest, I found it frustrating in a very weird way. And I think that has to do with a lot of what happened in the flashback, which we will delve very deeply into um, further on in the podcast. Not too long for that. Um, but yes, I, I just I found myself growing very frustrated watching them, um, which was an odd sensation because I love seeing you know the cursed times and I love I love seeing Storybrooke and I love when they go back to season one things, um, but this didn't quite hit the mark for me. Now the present day um, situation. What was going on with Snow in the present, Snow and Charming and Emma and and Regina in in the present day was kind of just didn't really have a lot of, I don't want to say it didn't have a lot of weight because it did, but at the same time it was kind of like, okay, uh, this isn't where my focus is. Um, And then Can I jump in and say something about that really quick? I'm sorry to cut in, but do you mind while you bring it up? Oh, go ahead. I feel like for me, the reason why, because um, I agree with you on that point, um, it didn't quite hit the mark for me either. And I feel like with the stuff in the present day, um, I, I mean, truly, I feel like that was entirely dependent on waiting for the flashback to complete so that we could figure out exactly how they were going to use the, the petals of the flower. Like, Yes. It was like mm-hmm. we, we literally, was. like we literally, we literally could not move forward in the storybook part of the story until we got the full flashback to understand everything. And normally that doesn't Which, happen. Yeah. Like normally it's related to it, but you're not like actually like I don't know like maybe maybe it has happened in the past, and it's something that has been used before over and over and and we never noticed who knows, but it's if this time or in this episode, if that's the case, it just, it didn't work for me. Um, because I was just, and yeah, I just, yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to mention, um, hook in Neverland. Like I liked, I love the inclusion of the shadow. Um, wasn't the biggest fan of how he got home. And we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Um, and the introduction of Tiger Lily, I felt, was interesting. I have some thoughts on that as well. Um, we got to see a little bit more of the Black Fairy. Always, always a pleasure. But again, she, I don't feel as if she's bringing the air of menace that I want her to. I want to be scared crapless when I see her on screen. I want it to be, like, when Cora showed up, it was like, oh, crap crap what is going to happen 
And I'm not feeling that so much with the Black Fairy just yet. Still waiting to see if her, waiting for her to bring out the big guns. Um, so I feel like a lot of this was kind of like waiting with this episode. That's very much what it felt like. Um, I did like one of the scenes towards the end, and I, and I keep saying we'll discuss this, we'll discuss this, because I don't want to just dive into it without Zach giving his thoughts thoughts as well. So go ahead, Zach. Well, it's funny that you say that because when you said about the way that Hook got home, we would talk about that. What I thought was, and then I thought about it some more, and again, I thought to myself, Um, do you know what a deus ex machina is? Got in the machine, so those, or got out of the machine, excuse me. Well, yeah, so what that means in terms of, like, screenwriting is that it's something that, it's something that resolves your story that comes out of, like, nowhere. That is, that has, like, no relation to anything in the story, um, it literally just comes out of nowhere and just resolves it. It's it's just whatever. Um, it's just a way of resolving it. And that's kind of what this felt like. Um, I just... The, uh, the pedals were that for me. The pedals know. as a whole. Their entire involvement in every aspect of the story. The pixie yeah. pedals were definitely days as days as ex machina for me. Uh at every step of the way. So we can we can touch on that with each section of the story we I felt like it, what I about, felt like it was you know. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna ask you, so what about other aspects then of the episode? Um Well, I'm kind of with you on the whole first season thing because I always enjoy like it's always fun to revisit cursed Storybrooke um, when it's done correctly. Like when we had Welcome to Storybrooke, for example, and we got the whole how their day repeats over and over again. Um, which is interesting because this episode kind of goes against that a little bit. Like Marco was still hanging what? the thing. Archie's still crossing yeah, it, the street with the dog. Like it's it, it all still, still bumps into Regina. Like it all still works. It's all still within continuity. Um that part at least. We're just getting right on into this, I suppose. Um, because the resolution of this story really It didn't okay. change what the it way w- that I, uh, I don't know if it changed the way that I feel about season one because my feelings about season one are very much set in stone. But what it did with season one and what, or what it tried to do with season one, no, what it did with season one and the way that it, it added a new detail that I don't, it added a new detail that I questioned whether or not it needed to be there. I agree. Uh, I I feel 
I feel like it retcons some of the things that we knew about season one, some of the things that we were the foundation of season one. And I felt like because things were kind of reset by the end of the flashbacks that it didn't matter. Like it, it, this, what had happened had no bearing really on anything. So why are we including this? Um, I, because the season one, very much a good, almost all of it was in regards to Snow and Charming was them struggling against the what the curse had done with their relationship, and then then them finding each other finally in the finale, like that that ongoing theme of I will find you, I will always find you, and they did. And I feel like with this flashback, like I'm just gonna go for it. I'm. With this flashback, they did find each other, and then they had to let each other go again. But I, I don't want to say cheapen, because I don't think that's a fair word. But in a way, that's where my frustration was, because I was like, but why? Like, no, Charming's not supposed to wake up. Like, they're not supposed to get their memories back while they're in the curse. Like, no, this is like the, the fundamental, like, truths of Once Upon a Time. Why is this happening? And that's what frustrated me. Yes, um, that's the detail, like, the fact that, because really, like, from from the beginning of that to the end of it, the end result was still the same. They both ended up back under the curse. Now, I appreciate that there was an attempt to, like, to show that they had sacrificed, again, like, you know, their family, so that Emma, and and you know, also hoping that Emma would be strong enough to grow up without them, as Snow White said. Um, and I appreciate why they would try to do that. I appreciate the intention. Again, like the intention is very clear of why these scenes would want to be included. Um, you know, to establish you know the the act of sacrifice by the Charmings again on behalf of everybody else, so that everybody else would in turn have a reason to imbibe some of the sleeping curse into themselves to save Snow White and Charming. My only thing with that, though, is that, number one, um, they already, like, we already know what they sacrificed because we saw it in season one, and really we saw it in season two um, during the episode that I can't remember. It's this, I think it's the third episode, um of season two where, or maybe it's a later one. It's the one where they go back to the castle and. Um, yeah. It's like episode they, two or three. And then you see snow and she's imagining how the nursery used to be. Right. Right. Exactly. And you hear like the sound of the baby and stuff and it's all emotional. Like that scene already established what the Charmings gave up. And then later on in Neverland, when snow told charming or no, actually it was even in season two in the queen is dead. How can I remember that? What the hell is the name of that episode? now? I'm sorry. I've got to look, but later on in the queen is dead. I believe it was at the end when snow white said like, you know, I did the right thing when I let Emma go through the wardrobe alone and we missed her first steps. Like we missed her first smile. Her And then in the cave later on in Everland, she's like, we, we missed her first, her first smile, her first word, like her first step, like all of that stuff. We missed it all. We already know what they gave up. Like we already know what's been said. Like it's been made clear. 
And part of what makes their reunion all the more sweet and, you know, what makes their growth as a family, like what makes that even better um, and more significant is the fact that, you know, the sacrifice has already been established. To see it happen again, um, I was kind of like, like, I already know this information kind of thing. You know what I mean? I was just like, I, I kind of already know this. Um, so I'm not sure why I'm seeing it again, but I mean, I'm going with it. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, so there was that. And then, okay, so it was called Lady of the Lake. That's what it was. Um, and oh, then, oh, yeah. And, and it was season Which three of episode two. Lady of the Lake? Um, and not only that, too, but then, like, so, again, I appreciate the intention of why they did that, but the sacrifice and all that was already established. We kind of didn't need to see that again. And then, Well, again, like, also, I don't mean to cut you off, I'm sorry. It was also with their reunion, though, um, with them when they finally kiss and the sun comes out and they have the big yeah, spinning camera. Yeah. Go go for it. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, sorry. That's the other thing, too, is like, and like Asher said, I don't want to say that it cheapens anything because I don't feel like that is necessarily the right word. However, it does, it alters the, Speaking for myself, and I think, Ashley, I'm going to hit on the right point for you, too. So I'm going to claim that mm-hmm. I'm speaking for you. Let me know if I'm wrong. But for us as audience members, it alters our perception of season one in such a way mm-hmm. that it reduces the impact of their reunion in A Land Without Magic because that already happened once, apparently. So yes. it, mm-hmm. it was more romantic, and it was more... Satisfying. Satisfying. Thank you. To have their reunion come after they did forget each other for 28 years. Because to me, like, it's great that that flower was growing there um, in Storybrooke in, in the beginning, in the first place. But I, if it was growing there in response to a great evil, like... Where who who was the evil? Like, was it just there because it was like part of the curse? Where like because it was just the evil curse, like the the dark curse, one automatically well, grew in opposition to it. <clears throat> well, not only that, why did it wait ten years to grow? Because Rumple said flat out, it's been we've been been under the curse for ten years. Right, like, it's not time yet. And, like, it's a, it just changes the impact of everything. I, even though, like, I especially in that scene, too, which I – there's a couple of things. There was a lot going on in this episode that we can discuss um, as well in the next 50 minutes. But um, when they met at the abandoned farmhouse on the edge of town, which we know ends up being Zelina's house, but when they were there, when Rumpel showed up and said, you know – like, it's not time yet and all that. And then Charming said that, you know, when he said, take this potion, it'll make you forget. And then Charming said, that's easy for you to say. You don't have a child who's out there all by herself. And then Rumple said, you have no idea what's out there for me. Um, yeah, I really I love appreciated, that. 
I I loved it too, and I appreciated it because it was a a reference to Neil and Balefire and his first son. So we're continuing the fact that you know we have references going on to him, and that this character's memory isn't completely forgotten. It's being mentioned, and I'll, things that I appreciate them, including for those of us who are fans of that relationship and that character. Because um, I'm sure that they are a fan of that character as well, and they weren't, you know, I'm sure they want to keep his memory alive for themselves, in a, as well as keep, you know, doing it for the fans. Um, so I appreciate, you know, that they had that on there. Um, but even that, the fact that Rumpel like knew and then kind of forgot, like I guess it's different with Rumpel because we know that he woke up from the curse as soon as he heard Emma's name. Like, that was very clearly established now in this episode. So now I love you know, that they established that. Yeah, so now it's canon, and there's not a question that that's what happened in the pilot, and that's what will come up out of the curse, because it's clever because in that it connects back to season two with Emma's name written in squid ink all over the parchment. It all ties it together. Like, he wrote it over and over because he wanted, like, that was part of his plan. Um. So, you know, I really appreciated that, that, that that was in there. I thought that was pretty cool um, and so forth. So it's different with Rumpel because it didn't have the same impact. It lessens the impact of the thing with snowing because as far as we've known forever, they didn't see each other, like, after he got stabbed, like, until that moment in the street. Like, they did not remember each other. And why did it wait the 10 years exactly? Like, who was it in opposition to? Why was it there? What was happening? Was it there the whole time and she just never noticed it? Um, I mean, that doesn't make any sense because it's a flower and it grows. So it should have died unless it's just perpetually kept alive by the power of the curse. But even that doesn't make sense because the curse is made out of dark magic and that's something that is purely opposite to that. So I, I was just confused. I didn't necessarily care for it and I understand where I understand where they were going with it it just didn't I don't know that the execution of it ended up getting pulled off in the same way that it was when they conceptualized it and were writing it out perhaps maybe that's what I'm trying to say I don't it just didn't have the no, same I, impact well and that's exactly impact is the thing that we want to say because think about it that moment when the when the first we see the first true love well not the first true love because we see Emma give true love's kiss to Henry and the wave of magic goes throughout the town, and you see, like, Snow and Charming get hit by it. And they suddenly know, and they suddenly see each other. And after everything they had been through, and, like, Abigail showing up, and Regina just meddling in goddamn everything, like, it was so satisfying that they finally reunited. They finally reunited. There was no more waiting at diners. There's no more sneaking off on long walks. There's, you know, no more murder trials, like, finally they're together, and I, it's just the idea that they had once reunited before that mitigates that moment where Snow wakes up in the season one finale and looks and just goes, charming, you know, because that's a very powerful moment in the show. That was the moment where we all yeah. kind of went, ooh, dang. Yeah. That, I also want yeah, to mention. Good. Oh no! I just I wanted to mention um, that I thought it was I, I I did like the fact that Charming's like we should have seen this coming and and Emma's like what and he's like yeah no back like when we first talked to Rumble he mentioned a final battle but we always assumed it was 
the curse breaking. And I'm like, that was a very well written line to kind of tie everything together with the pilot and with why is the final battle only coming up now? And, and just, because it makes sense because we kind of, I mean, I don't know about you, but I assumed that the final battle was the curse breaking as well when I was first watching. Well, yeah, and I so love I really liked included, that they went there. Yeah. I love that they included it as a line of dialogue from charming saying like, we assumed that that was the breaking of the first curse because number one, that's what all of the audience assumed, I think. And number two, mm. at least back then, you know what I mean? Like when we all first heard, like kind of like, in the same position as Charming. When we first heard that, we thought the same thing. Um, but now this coming up is different. And it's also interesting, too, because I I know this interview exists out there in the world somewhere. Because I have read it before, and I've even had the link to it before. It might even be somewhere on the podcast staff page. Who knows? But somewhere back in the day, Jennifer Goodwin gave an interview where she actually said that when... She originally signed on for the show that all of the actors and Adam and Eddie were not planning on breaking the curse until the very end of the series. And that at the end of the first season, they thought it would be more interesting to have Emma break the curse so that they could see what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. I, I recall really that, yeah. They, yeah, so it, that did happen. There is an interview out there somewhere where Jennifer Goodwin said this. So it's, it does exist. Um, uh, speaking of Jennifer Goodwin, I thought she was excellent in this episode. When she started crying at the very end, I was like, oh, uh, no. Oh, God. Like, that was, that she was scene, just so good in this episode. Though, even though it kind of did reduce, it does kind of have an impact on the impact, if you will, of their reunion in the season one finale. That scene did achieve what it set out to do because it hit me right in the feels, dude. Like, I was you know when the when she touched like the portal and it like showed Emma there like sitting on the bed with headphones reading a book um and it's funny too cuz it showed that and then when it showed the reverse shot of them like just standing there like in the magic door and I love that Emma's, shot um it occurred to me right then that like well it's it, I kind of thought something was off about it um i was like what there's something about this scene that i'm that i don't think has hit me yet and then when she went to close the door and that little bit of golden light kind of came out and emma saw it and looked over it occurred to me then that if emma had not been wearing her headphones or if she had just looked over to the left while the door was still open she would have seen them And I was like, that is like that missed opportunity right there for them, for her, for everybody, for everything. It's so powerful and so moving and so sad. Like, like intention with that scene was definitely achieved because I had feels. Um. So yeah, I, I that that part, that scene alone, like after the door opened and from when the door opened until the door closed, that was my favorite part of the whole episode. That was the best scene for me. Oh, my favorite scene was the very end when everyone kind of takes a bit of the the curse unto themselves. 
to like, you know, kind of a, you have my sword and my axe and my, you know, elf eyes or whatever, my, you know, just kind of like. Yep, yeah, you have my sword and, and my, my bow axe. and my axe. Yeah. It's just, I like that they, like, the entire town, and I love that, um, Regina prefaced it with, like, I know living in Storybrooke is not easy, like, you know, there's always some new terror running around tearing up the town or breaking the clock tower or whatever, like, I just, I really liked that scene, and then they woke up, and it was kind of like, you guys did all this for us, like, I just, I felt like that was my favorite part of this the episode. Oh, you just said something that totally made me think about another point that I was going to make earlier when I was talking about how the sacrifice had already kind of been, like, established with, like, what they had given up, that was the other thing that kind of got me, too. When, like, Regina was standing there saying, like, you know, I found out that they sacrificed their family, so now I'm going to ask you to do all that whatever. Like, if I had been Regina, I would have just, and I know that she's, like, the nice Regina now, <laughs> right? Like, cause whatever. Um, well, no, she's not, because she has some of the darkness now, too. So she has a dark side, too. So she's back to being who she was before. Okay, cool. But if I were I would have cut to the taste and just been like, look, I could stand, I could, like, grandstand here and make some moving speech about sacrifice and hope and love and what and all of that means. But let's just be real. They've sacrificed so much for all of you and saved you guys countless times over. So you all need to take a sip of this potion and wake them up because they deserve it. So let's get a move on. Who's first? Chop, chop, line up. Like, that just should have been how it went. Like, she should have just, like, been her normal bitchy self and just been like, hey, I'm going to listen to me. This is what you're going to do. This is what's happening. I'm the mayor. I'm the boss. This is it. I'm done. And that would have been it. What I like where fine. you were going. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you were going with that speech, but, for some reason, it popped in my head. I love the fact, like, of her saying, you know, I could come up here and speechify about hope and whatever, blah, blah, blah. She should have been like, but that's their job, so let's wake them up, you know? Right. Like, I don't know. I just, I know that Regina has changed a lot, and she's come a long way, but she still has that sass. So, you know. I don't know. I just was like, there's no real reason why anybody shouldn't be chomping at the bit to line up and be like, yeah, we'll take some of that curse too and, and hope because these people have done a lot for us and how many times have they saved us. And it's true they bring a lot of chaos to the world as well and they've caused plenty <laughs> of problems with a lot of their decisions. But, you know, whatever. Um so, yeah, let's see. Um, I think I have some more notes on this as well. Um, because really that was, like, the bulk of the episode was the flashback stuff that was happening um, and everything going on with the flowers in the present day, which was contingent on that. A um, couple of little points, though, that I do um, want to point out, um, especially with the stuff. Well, actually, we can get to that later. Um, let's see. I loved when they were in the vault and Zelina said that soon they would be able to make them all feel wretched, sweet nothings again or whatever it was. I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that Snow recorded a video message for Charming. Because even I noticed the flower petals. I was like, what's with all the flower petals? Like, what exactly is going on there? Um, and in that scene... 
something happened that is related to something else that I wanted to to just discuss real quick because um, when after Snow you know records the video message and then it so cleverly shifts to Charming's perspective later of him watching that video so it was a way of having both of them like have an actual live scene where they're not just on a video message but yeah I thought it was very clever um, camera move I thought it was a great transition. Um, but in addition to that, when Charming showed all of them the picture immediately afterwards and figured out the flower petals, it was Zelina who realized that they were pixie petals, which grow only in response to the presence of great evil. And then she said, whoever Emma is fighting in this final battle, they're already in the storybook. Okay. So here's the thing about that, right? Because... I couldn't help but notice that factor. I couldn't help but notice the fact that Zelina was there helping Regina come up with this new potion in the cauldron to try and break the sleeping curse. I could not help but notice later on in the episode as well that they met in Zelina's farmhouse, as I mentioned once before. Um, so all of these things like Zelina, 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 like Marsha, 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 Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So what I think this means truly because I thought it was interesting, because she said, in my experience, like, they only grow in reaction to the presence of great evil. We're getting a Wizard of Oz episode next week. So it's no wonder why suddenly Zelina had more of an increased presence in this week's episode, because they're trying to be like, hey, remember this, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but also, in addition to that, I think that those pixie petals grew in Oz in response to her, and they might take the place of the poppies. So, that's my theory. That's my guess. We'll see if I'm right. Um, But I did have that thought as I was making my notes. So, that was that. I actually didn't think that. That's very interesting. So, they did look kind of poppy-ish. Yeah, I just feel like they're, like, I feel like the reason why Zelina knows that is because she's already dealt with them once before and she's already dealt with that once before because they grew in Oz because of her. Maybe. Maybe it was something else. Who knows? Um, but that's what I think. That's my opinion. That's what I think. So, there we go. It also makes sense um, that she was involved with the um, the making of the, the, the counter curse because she she is more powerful than Regina, like, in terms of natural talent and things like that. So, it's kind of like, I need my big sister's help for my own work. <laughs> Right. Um, so, yeah, um, that's kind of where I was going with that. One thing I wanted to point out. Also love the fact that the black fairy poops away in black smoke. Uh-huh. Um, really looking forward to that whole history thing there, um, because I feel like that's also going to be related to something that happened in the... Neverland portion of the episode that Tiger Lily brought up because when they go to Pan's camp to see if he has any magic that will let Hook get home, Tiger Lily reveals that the wand that he needs to get to Emma is the same one that defeated the Black Fairy all those years ago. And seriously, not just for Once Upon a Time, but for every other show on television. I need there to be a video compilation somewhere on YouTube of all the times in every movie and every TV show that anybody has ever said all those years ago. Because I (laughs) feel like it would be three hours long, 
And if he made it a drinking game, you would have to go to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. Anyway, um, the reason why Tiger Lily knows about this whole wand business is because she was once a fairy herself who was close to the Black Fairy and failed to stop her from choosing darkness. So after the other fairies... Were they lovers? So after the other fairies banished the Black Fairy, Tiger Lily gave up her wings. Now, here's what I find super interesting about this. Number one, the fact that she was close to the Black Fairy, are, the automatic inclination for anybody who's a monster is, how are they related? Um, because, everybody, because everybody is related. Or were they lovers? Yeah. Or, you know, just how are they connected? Are they friends? What exactly happened there? So that's interesting. I also think it's interesting that the other fairies banished her, and that must have been when Blue took her wand. Mm-hmm. And she still ended up being able to, like, you know, use magic and things of that nature. But when the, when Tiger Lily said, once the other fairies banished her, I gave up my wings, I was like, oh, so that means that the fairies are, like, super old. Like, super ancient. They're like Odin. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I'll be interested to see if they establish a firm timeline for that um, in that episode or if it's just kind of like the Enchanted Forest a long, long time ago, which it probably will be. Um, Mm. But, yeah, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, I loved when a hook said regularly, is this a... Oh, I just think it's interesting that Neverland seems to be the place where fairies who are no longer fairies kind of go, because, you know, Tink ended up there, too. Yeah, so, like, were Tink and Tiger Lily, like, hanging out? Like, were they boozing it up on Saturday nights up in the treehouse? Like, Well, here's the th- maybe not, though, because uh, Tiger Lily voluntarily gave up fairyhood where Tink had it taken away from her. There might be some flat, bad blood there. Also true. I just, I really want to know about the fairies on Once Upon a Time. It's ridiculous. I'm, well, here's the thing, right? We've been looking forward to a history about these fairies for eons now. And so it's really nice to finally get some backstory between exactly what happened between Blue and the Black Fairy. Why she hates the Black, and it all, and you know what it also does? Like, it's clearly going to establish a reason as to why she hates, well, why she detests Rumple so much, why he is so opposed to fairies, why they naturally, you know, go against everything that he is, like he said in the first season. Like, I feel like, in an odd way, I feel like this is going to establish more of the mythology for the Dark One than anything that they did in Camelot. Yeah, I can see that. Interesting. Um, do you have a note? Do you have something? Oh no, I'm just I'm thinking about it all. Like, what would like? I feel like it has something to do with the fact that the Black Fairy sired a son. Like, I I feel like was Blue jealous? 
like, and then she just decided to be super petty because I feel like she has it in her. And that, that's again my own, um, I my own wanting the blue fairy to be shady. Um, that might be bringing that out, but like I just feel like having her being a mother and sneaking off and having a son has to be why they had like the firm like Nova, no, you can't hook up with the dwarf rule. Yeah. Oi. All right. I have more notes. Let's see. Feel free to mention anything else you noticed, Ash, if you want. Oh, I just go through all these notes here. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I know that we already talked about this, but I just want to say really quickly when Emma burst out of that door on the beach, I almost burst out laughing because it just seemed so. <laughs> so random and sudden and I don't know there was just something about it that just struck me as comical and I started laughing can I just say I I'm not a fan of the fact that while snow gave her the pixie petal dust I'm a little disappointed that Emma used it instead of reviving Hook, or I'm sorry, reviving Snow and Charming, and then looking for another way to find Hook. I was I was disappointed. I agree. I agree. I was as well. Um, especially because the whole thing was establishing that Snow and Charming had sacrificed so much. And in, in this instance, shouldn't they have gotten that return? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I mean, while it gave us, it gave us the, I think it would have been better in the whole scheme of things. if So they got the dust and Emma decides not, that like she has a moment of, like, contemplation where she's like, okay, should I, should I use it to bring back Hook? Or should I use it my parents? And she says, no, I'm going to do it for my parents. And then the Black Fairy comes and, like, breaks it like she knocks it out of her hand and goes whoopsie and poofs out just like haha sucks to be you and it breaks and no one can use it and that will lead us to the really awesome scene of everyone kind of taking on the mantle of the curse like I would have liked that better I think right yeah um let's see <laughs> I feel like it's interesting that the Blackberry is telling Rumpel that when he joins her, they can be the family they were always meant to be. Because I just want to be like, well, girl, if you want to be the family you were always meant to be, then why the hell did you abandon his ass? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, well, what if she was forced to? That's the thing. I think we're going to find that out in the Blackberry episode. I think I think she's just a nut. Um, I also like the fact that she was like, oh, wouldn't that be some shit, me. though? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be some shit if, she was, if the Blue Fairy forced her... Like, when she banished her, she thought, like, somehow made it impossible for her to ever reconnect with Rumpel or something. Oh. And well, so, that's like, what she would do, though. She, she would, would do, do that. that. She would. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, you mentioned it earlier, too, but I really appreciated the use of the shadow in Neverland. Um, yes, I like that. Kind of surprised that... Um, what was I surprised at? Go back to my notes. Back to the notes. 
I don't know what I was surprised at. Um, so I don't see what it was here. Oh, um, oh, quick thing. I did laugh to myself when they were in the forest and the black fairy said to Emma and Snow that she never should have sent an emissary to carry out her work because I'm at a point in Deep Space Nine where um, <laughs> Kira's boyfriend, Vedic, whoever, just died. And I Varyl? hate Kai Wen. Yes, Varyl, and I hate Kai Wen. And so when she was like, I never should have sent an emissary to carry out her work. Like, I, all I could hear in my head was Kaiwen saying, oh, emissary. And I just was just like, oh, I cannot stand. Louise Fletcher. Louise Fletcher is like the original Umbridge. Like, oh, God, she is just so good at playing that, like, oh, emissary. Basically, if you don't watch Deep Space Nine, the emissary is basically Jesus, and he happens to be a Starfleet captain, and he's, like, totally weirded out by the fact that he's like actually Jesus for the people of Bajor. And so there's like a big conflict because he's not, he's of Bajor, but he's not Bajoran. You know what I mean? So. Right. Like he's human. Just, so. Yeah. He, so there's like this big stink about like, why is this, you know, alien or Jesus. And so basically the Pope of Bajor is Kai Wynn. She's a Kai. And, she's and she evil. is like, She's like the Trump of space. It's terrible. She is. It's awful. I hate her so much. Um, it, she's so, yeah, much, she's so much fun to hate. Oh, my God. Yes, this thing. This thing that we have to discuss. This thing that we have to discuss right now. Okay, so in the scene where, you know, everybody has drank the sleeping purse potion thing and then Hook and Emma wake up. Or excuse me, Snow and Charming wake up, and then they in turn wake up Snow, and and there are all those people, and then Charming sits there and he forgives Hook, which about killing his dad, which okay, whatever. Um, there's a quick shot right after that where Granny and Geppetto hugged, and I was like, yes, they heard us. It's a thing. They're a couple. I don't care what else. They're a couple. They're I a kn- why did I, I know that that you were gonna bring that up? I it made me so happy. I can't even. Well, the actors are all about it. Like, you should hear Beverly Ellie talking about it. I'm so happy they included it. It's just a small thing, but even that validates something that we have all been talking about for years that we have wanted to see. And it's just, I'm so, like, thank you guys so much for throwing us that little bit of a bone because I appreciate it. I know a lot of other people did too. It was brilliant. I loved it. Um, they're a thing. They're like an eye. It's so cute. I love it. Um, I was tickled by it. I love the fact that people, like members of Team Seven, were there. Like sleeping, sleepy and sneezy were there. I loved that. It was nice to see the guys. I love that Grumpy was there again too. It was nice to see Lee. Um, it was just nice to see people, you know, back. Although it did really like. And the reason why it made me feel a certain way, too, I think, is because I feel like those characters specifically, like Team Seven, Archie, Granny, um, Geppetto, I feel like those characters are intrinsically linked to Snow and Charming's story because of Season 1. And so the fact that this was very much a Snow and Charming Season 1 flashback, that they were included so much, like... That really gave it a very like a strong season one vibe as well. Like that really helps contribute to the whole feel 
of the episode, I think. Um, and in recognizing that fact, it made me sad because I was like, God, I wish that this could have happened more often. But, yeah. Um, Ray, shut up with your mocking ass on Twitter. I hear you. I see you. Um, what? Ooh. Anyways, get on with your ass. I got. I have nothing for you. I have nothing for you, Ray. Um. Okay. So let's see. Eyeball emoji right now. Like do 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 do. Ray, you know I love you. Um. All right. Let's see. Oh, Maggie, you're laughing at it too. Are you laughing at it, Mags? I hear you in the chat room, guys. If you have no idea what's going on. When we started talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, um, our friend Ray on Twitter tweeted me a gif of somebody from Deep Space Nine because she knows that I fought Ashley for a long time about watching Deep Space Nine and whether it was better Years. than Voyager. No, no, no. Years you fought me to watch Deep Space because you're all like Janeway and I'm like, but Deep Space Nine? And you're like, no, Janeway. And I'm like, yeah. And then... I get this message out of no, or no, you tweeted it. That was like, I came out of like, from another room, like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. So anyways, um, I am never wrong with my television never... recommendations. Everyone should listen to me when I recommend a TV show. I was right about Steven universe. I was right about Wentworth. I was right about deep space nine. Was I not Zach? Yes, you were shut up. Um, <laughs> um, I oh, I also thing. love the fact too. One small thing. I love the fact that in the flashback, Regina knew that Snow was awake because she had stood up to her, and Mary Margaret never did that. I was oh, like, oh, that, you. Those are portions never. of the flashback I loved. Yeah, I yeah. It, I was like, oh, it's it's season one again. Like, oh, it's bitch Regina. I love this. Like, oh, that was the moment. Like, literally, when she she totally like crashes into snow, but then like she's like, well, well, he won't even notice anyway. And then like she she pretty much does everything but zap in a Z or snap in a Z formation, and then she walks off. And there's that moment where she kind of just goes, like it's just the expression. I love that because I was like, oh, that's some season one Regina right there. Mm. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of season. Two, maybe, season one, season two, I don't remember, but there's an episode where Snow is coming into Granny's and Regina is leaving Granny's, and she goes, oh, like, there's something on the menu just for you, or something like that, and she's like, black and soul, and then, like, That was season two. uh, Yeah. (laughs) That was after she killed her mother. That was after the porch scene. That was after she killed her mother, and Granny's like, oh, crap, everybody better get out. This is about to be a, like... No, no, wait, that wasn't when it happened. That wasn't when Granny cleared out of the, uh, that wasn't when she cleared out the diner. But I remember that when she was like, black and soul, Regina out. Yes. Yeah, that part. Oh. Um, let's see. <laughs> let's see. That's such a weird, like, now that I think about this, such, you know, she, she burned her with a pun. Do you realize that? I, like, I'm just realizing it now that she was like, yeah, like, regal pun, what now, Snow White? <laughs> So ridiculous, but it was so good. Do you realize that you do you realize that you just said that she burned her with a pun and we're talking about black and soul? 
Oh. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, Hook and Emma got engaged properly. I was nauseous. Um, and okay, should we talk about the other thing? We only got 15 minutes left. I'm just gonna say this. After Emma brought Hook back and he apologized for not telling her the truth about her grandfather all those years ago, and she said, it's okay, I didn't make it easy for you to tell me the truth. Gird your loins, everyone. It's coming. (laughs) And again, this is a PG-13 show. I don't give a fuck. If she didn't make it easy for him to tell her the truth or not, if you are resolved that you're going to tell somebody the truth about the fact that you murdered their grandfather back in the day, that's something that you just resolve to do. It doesn't matter if somebody puts you in an awkward, uncomfortable situation where you're in, like, this weird false engagement situation. Like, this isn't Friends when Joey accidentally proposed to Rachel after she had the baby Emma and Ross came in and was like, what the hell? Like... This is not like modern family or something where that kind of thing can happen. I'm sorry. This is not a situation where Emma is at fault at all. Hook is completely guilty of his own accord. He did it way before she was even born, even before her parents had ever met. He killed her grandfather of his own accord because back then he was a pirate and he was evil and he was a jackass and that's the kind of thing that he did. And that is just fine because that's the kind of character that he was. But that has nothing to do with Emma. That has nothing to do with it being her fault. Oh, it's okay. I didn't make it easy for you to tell me the truth. Girl, it doesn't matter if you made it easy for him or not. His ass should have told you the truth anyway. I'm not trying to hear that business. That is absolutely ridiculous. I don't agree with that message because it is not a message that I appreciate being told to, like, to to the audience who may not recognize that that is not a healthy message per se and who may like think that that's a good quality to look for in a mate. I just can't. And I could really explode on this a little bit more, but I really want to hear what Ashley has to say about this because she looks at things in a far more rational and calm way than I do. (laughs) She also has a degree in psychology. So I'm going to let her go ahead and take a read on this. Oh, you've outed me with my degrees that I don't use. Um, Yeah, if you guys don't know, I have a degree in psychology and a a degree in forensic sciences, and I do events. Woohoo! And she's amazing. That's why we're friends. Aw, thank you. I, um, with the reading of that line, because I knew it was coming, because I, again, saw some, some vitriol on Twitter. But for me, the way it read, I didn't read it as if she was apologizing for Hook Knight. The way she said it, I haven't made it easy for you to tell me the truth. I read that as I... Well, she didn't give him the chance to explain when he had the... When he was... He had the... What the hell is that called? Dreamcatcher. If I'm... If I may be misremembering the scene. Um, but didn't she storm off and didn't give him a chance to explain, and then he got portaled, or did he leave, or 
she she realized what was happening. She's like, is that my grandfather? Like, what the hell did you do? And then there was a separation, and then they there was Hook's, you know, Quantum Leap Adventures, and then he just got back. So I well, kind yeah, of read was... that it, uh, I didn't take the time to talk to you about this, which, I mean, he did a bad thing, but, and I'm not saying, but Emma didn't communicate, but there was no communication on either of their parts. So that's why that kind of didn't work. So I think that I don't think she should have said, I don't make it easy. I didn't make it easy for you to tell the truth. It should have been something more along the lines like we didn't have a chance to talk about the truth. Because when she when she makes an I statement, she makes it she like you you express she makes it very much about her, and it wasn't a thing that she should have felt any guilt for. Because yes, they both walked away to like I honestly can't remember how they separated in that scene off the top of my head. I but do. They, they, I there remember. Was a, I can refresh your memory. Okay. So he so he proposed like she kind of. Proposed to him ish, and then whatever, and then later on he tried to um, burn the dream catcher, and she caught him, and she was like, "You could have told me the truth, and we could have worked through it, and my parents would have forgiven you because that's who they are, and you know it. But you have to stop hiding things from me. We have to stop hiding things from each other, and until you get that, um, we're not going to be able to have a relationship. Take back your ring. We can talk later." And then he left. And he went to the docks, and then that's when Gideon put him on the ship. All right, okay, I remember, so, I remember now. So, so I guess my my interpretation then of it, it has changed even more. So she, I guess maybe because she she felt like she was giving him an ultimatum with the ring, which she was. I mean, honestly, like I think she was justified to do like this. She was like, this is a big thing, and you need to stop hiding things, and we need to talk. But then the talking never happened. Um, I just, maybe, I just feel like it just wasn't a well-written line in that moment. Because I honestly forgot that they had that confrontation. I, like, I don't know why I forgot they had that confrontation, but I forgot they had, I, they, they had that confrontation where she, you know, why he had the ring back in the first place. Adele, Ashley. Um, I just, I don't feel like the, the message that was, gleaned from that phrase was the one, it certainly wasn't the one that was intended. I feel like the line could have been I feel like it shouldn't have been an I statement. It should have been a, a, a we statement, a mutual statement to talk about both of them if if anything. Okay. Um, I hated that line. Like, I was immediately like, no. Nope. Um, and I do disagree with you to an extent because I'm just like, no, I agree with you that it was a poorly written line. Um, well, not even that. I'm not sure what they were, what they were trying to convey, but the message that came across was that one. Um, right. I think the message me, that they were trying to convey was I shouldn't have pushed you away when we should have talked about it, but that obviously wasn't unpackaged in that one line. Right. But then again, I might be putting my own spin on things as well. Perhaps, because I know a lot of people felt the same way that I do about it. So, I don't know. Um, but then 
again, though, you have an inclination to not like Hook. Like, I'm not like say, whoa, but like at the same time, you don't like the don't. relationship. So, so I feel like that could color your interpretation of a certain line because I'm neutral about the relationship, and so I had a neutral response. If I was very adamant about the relationship, I probably wouldn't have even thought about that response or about the the phrase. Like, what we bring to the table when we watch television definitely colors how we interpret certain things. Right. Okay. Let's see. Anything else? Oh, Gold knows that the Blackberry has a sunk heart. I really appreciated that. I love um, the fact that he was like, no, he, no, Gideon resisted you, and that's his mother, his real mother, because that seemed to really cheese the Black Fairy off. What is her deal with that? Like, I know we talked about it a second ago, but, like, I'm not understanding what her deal is with that whole thing. Like, you're going to choose me, and we're going to live ha- evilly ever after. Like, She wanted to have was- a family. I, I guarantee this is what's going to happen in the Black Fairy. I don't guarantee that because I don't know. But I, I, my thoughts is that she wanted to have, she wanted to be a mother, she wanted to have a family so badly, but because of whatever, either jealousy on the Blue Fairy's part or rules or combination of both, her family was torn away from her. And like we've seen with family torn away from Rumpel, that made him obsessive to the point where he stole the curse and made, you know, manipulated the hell out of everybody to get what he wanted. Or the same thing with Regina, where her family and her future with Daniel was torn away, and so she had this false family with Snow, who she could never, she felt she could never love, because she was always overshadowed, and she always, you know, came out smelling of roses when Regina kept losing everything. It's all about loss. It's all about how this show is entirely about how people deal with loss, and a lot of that loss has to do with family. I think the Black Fairy had a very negative reaction to losing her chance at having a familial happiness. And so she kind of went nuts. And so her, she, her obsession with getting a family back is very akin to Rumpel's obsession with finding Balefire. Except the Black Fairy is also like super, well, I mean, Rumpel's magical, but the Black Fairy is also like super magical. And she didn't have a curse that stripped her of her magic and made her forget to like temper that. She's been stewing in her own juices for God knows how long in her own little realm. And she's been able to snatch babies and stuff. So she hasn't had any influences or any way to kind of find a healthy or better solution. She hasn't had an Emma in her life. Like, you know, cause I mean, when Emma went to New York to find who she didn't know was Balefire, but she, she's the one who went on, on the, on the plane with uh, Rumpel to, you know, granted, Rumpel was like, no, you're coming with me. But, you know, she was the one who went with. And she was the one who's kind of like, you need to do this. And you, you chill, talk to him, this, that, and the other. The Black Fairy didn't have that. She didn't have any sort of, I guess, like, you know, she, it was just oxygen kept fueling the fire. She didn't have anything to, like, stifle. There, That's what I was looking for, stifle her just mania towards this. So she got in, and plus being an all-powerful being, 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 she probably has ego the size of, like, New York. So she was just, she's probably like, yeah, no, 
this is my thing. Like, if she's powerful enough to create the dark curse, she's got her head up her ass. I don't know. It's just, I feel like her, she's just, it's like a single-minded focus and not an inability to deal with loss. So she's trying to create happy families and pretend to have a family by forcing like somebody like Gideon to be her quote-unquote son. Does that make sense? Am I, I feel like I'm just rambling. No, that I mean, it makes sense. Um, I like that you have said that the show is about how people deal with loss because no wonder why I like it. Um, let's see. I was thinking about the timeline while you were talking and how, you know, she wanted a family so badly and things of that nature. And, and the fact that, like, here's where I'm confused, right? Mm-hmm. Dark magic. Yes. The black said she practically created dark magic. So, are we in, like, a chicken and the egg kind of situation? Because what came first, the black fairy and her dark, or the darkness that had to deal with Camelot? Or are they, like, are they the same thing somehow connected? What's going on there? Um, I'm wondering if they're the same thing kind of connected, like a ripple effect. Uh, for some reason, when you bring up chicken and the egg, this and, and <laughs> this is my my Catholic upbringing here. Um, reminds me of the writings of Saint Thomas Aquinas, where his thoughts on the unmoved mover, where you know everything that is created is a reaction to another thing, but there has to be one thing that wasn't acted upon to start everything off, and that is the unmoved mover. And you know, if you think about it, that's God. So and the, and I like the uh, idea of the unmoved mover, and I think about that in my own you know philosophy, spirituality, my thoughts on the next life, blah blah blah. So I feel like that could be applied in this sense almost, where perhaps the black fairy, perhaps that's what it was that there was so much of a snap in her that she was maybe one of the first beings to ever completely blacken their hearts. Mm. And that could be that black heart could be the thing that started like dark magic. True. I like that idea. I think that we're obviously going to find out more about that in two weeks when we have the episode, which is called the black fairy, which of course airs on Sunday, April 30th. I think that's a great place to leave off the podcast for this week as well because we've only got about two minutes left. I want to let everybody know that next week is our 100th podcast. Um, So thank you guys all very much. Um, We'll be back next week at our normal time. I think um, we might have to make a couple of scheduling changes for the upcoming weeks due to changing work schedules and so forth. So we'll keep you guys posted mm-hmm. once we figure that out, but it will be soon. Um, so yeah, we'll see you next week. Keep you updated on the time and day, but otherwise, um, yeah, guys, we'll see you then. Thanks for joining us this week. Night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+ plus. terms and conditions apply. See website for details.